We are going to continue on. We plowed, we've plowed a lot of ground through Romans up to this point. We're still plowing. We're starting a new chapter. We're moving into chapter 4, so we're getting there. We're moving along. So I'm going to ask you to please turn with me, first of all, to Genesis chapter 12. That's our Old Testament reading, Genesis 12. And we'll be reading the first nine verses, and then over to Romans chapter 4, the first 12 verses. So Romans... Um, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. This is the calling of God on Abraham. As we just sang, sovereignly, God calls Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to, to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. New Testament, over to Romans chapter 4, Romans 4. And Paul's talking about being saved by grace alone. And he says this, what, shall we, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin, sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Or for the uncircumcised. For we say the faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that had been by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that unrighteousness 
would be counted, so that unrighteousness would be counted to them as well. I'm sorry, so that righteous, I knew I was wrong there, so unrighteousness would be counted, so righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you again that you would bless us by your spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts, give us wisdom and understanding. I pray that you would be with me to bring forth your word, Lord, powerfully by your spirit, accurately, Lord God, and in a way that's very helpful to us, edifying, building us up in our faith. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, praise God. So basically to this point, a quick summary of Romans, what we've been through. We've seen how sinful we are. That, and, and, and the idea is that Paul's bringing forth is how an altogether sinful person, and that's who we are before Christ, is made right with an altogether holy God. How those that are so far away, and all of us at one time were so, so, so far away from God, how we are brought near to him. Amen and praise God. This is what Romans is, is about, basically, as he's saying this. And we saw, we know that it requires a righteousness. We need a righteousness to stand before God. We need uh, to, be, to be counted as righteous before him. Something outside ourselves. We've found out time and again, time and again, we can't do it on our own. Why? Because of our sin nature, man. We just don't have what it takes to keep the law of God perfectly, and that's what he requires of us. So we need a righteousness, a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness, because we're too fallen to work ourselves back to God. This is why Jesus Christ came. Amen and praise God. He came to redeem those who were in bondage to sin. That means each and every one of us. He came to justify the guilty, to do that freely. And he does that through the shedding of his blood to cover our sins, to pay for our sins, to appease the wrath of God. As we believe in him, as we trust in him, his Holy Spirit applies that salvation to us. Praise God. That's a quick synopsis of what we've been talking about all these months or since we've been in Romans. This is the message that people need to hear. And you know what? It has always been the only way of salvation. And I want you to understand that. And Paul wants us to understand that. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's never by religious works. It's never by your good works. It's never by religious rituals. It's never trying to do something for God. It's not what we do, but what God has done for us. That's why it's so precious. That's why it's so amazing. That's why it's so gracious. And Paul labors. He wants to show us. He's telling us this, that salvation is by grace and that is not a new concept. It's not something brand new. It's not like, oh, the old, that was that way in the Old Testament, now it's this way in the New. Or that didn't work too well back then, let's try this. No, it's not a new concept, it's not a new idea, and it's not a new way to God. That's what Abraham, or Paul was laboring here. He proves it, especially to the Jews. And there were many Jews in Rome, and many who had relied on, on rituals, on works, on being Jew, on being a Jew. That's why, you know, kind of gets you in. Uh, you have an inside track to God. I'll say, no, it's always been by grace. It's always been by grace. How, how does he do this? He goes to the one man, the one man who is revered by the Jews, by all people, really, admired by all, faithful Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of the nation. And he shows Abraham's life that salvation is by grace alone. 
through faith alone and Christ alone. It's always been that way. It's nothing new. His life shows and proves that people are not justified by good works, by religious rituals, but through faith in Christ. Not even your ethnicity. That doesn't get you in. So, verses 1 through 5. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes to him, to him who is justified, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. We'll stop right there. That's a big chunk and there's a lot there to talk about. Again, Abraham is the father of the nation. Everybody loves Abraham. He's a giant, spiritual giant of the faith, like Moses, David, the prophets. But Abraham was the one who was chosen by God. He was the recipient of God's favor, of God's promise. We just read that. That's why we read Genesis 1 through 6. That's the calling of Abraham, the father of the faithful, the one from whom Messiah would come, the line in which Messiah would come, the Savior would come. So respected, so revered was Abraham that there were some Jews that believed that he was altogether righteous. So this early writing, it's called the Book of Jubilees in the first century. It's a Jewish writing. Listen to this quote. It says this, quote, Abraham was perfect in his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the day of his life, unquote. Yeah. Well, we know Hebrews 11, Hall of Faith is Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Then verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. So we see that faith of Abraham. We love that faith of Abraham. We absolutely do. But the question is, was it these things and other things that won God's favor? That's what Paul is dealing with here. Is that, is that what won God's favor for him? Is that what God saw and said, okay, now Abraham, I'm going to, to choose you in that way because of what you did? No, not at all. That's why Paul's laboring this point that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Because if they had been the basis, the good thing, the faithful Abraham, faithful in what he did, then Abraham could say that he did deserve that salvation, that he did earn it, that he did merit it in some way. He earned God's favor. Now look, man, we know some people that are so nice, so very kind, so very humble, so very generous, so very sacrificial, caring and faithful in so many areas of their lives. You know, back in our Roman Catholic days, we say, well, that person's a saint. <laughs> you know, that's such a nice, good person in that way. That you know, No, they're not. They're not. <laughs> right? It's only those who trust in Christ. And even Abraham, before he trusted, or even after, you know, was not in, in that way, even though he said in the Lord, he still was a sinner who needed salvation, who needed Christ. Abraham by no means was perfect in every single way. We know at least a couple of times when he lied to save his own skin, he gave his wife over in different ways. So even the kindest person knows that their flaws are many. And Paul's point here, this is the point I want to drive home today, is that grace has always been the way of salvation, and we see it so plainly. Let's go back to Abraham. Think about it. If you want to go back to Genesis 12, you may. I'm not going to turn back there, but even as I read Genesis 12, 1, who called who? And now, what was Abraham doing when God called him? He was traveling. He was sojourning. He was going out. He was like nomad, going from place to place. But who called who? 
There's nothing to suggest in any way that Abraham was on a quest to find God. He wasn't looking for God, just like you weren't looking for God when he found you, when he changed your heart, when he opened your eyes. He wasn't doing that. God called him. He wasn't seeking for God. He wasn't searching for God. God's grace fell on Abraham, just like it falls on every. Just think of Paul himself. How did he come to faith? Was he looking for God? No, he was doing just the opposite. He was going to torture God's people, and God's grace fell upon him so hard that it knocked him down and blinded his eyes. God's grace finds us. We don't find it. It comes upon you. He wasn't given a chance, like Abraham wasn't given a chance. He wasn't told that he needed to decide if he was going to let God into his life, into his heart. No, man, his grace grabs us. His grace grabs you, doesn't it? And brings you in. So it's irresistible. You can't say no, and you want to say yes because of his his love for you. Man, that's how it works, and that's what Paul is saying. That's what happened to Abraham. That's what happened to every saint. That's what happened to every believer all along the way. We're going to see that in just a little bit with David as well. God's grace comes upon us. He doesn't say, please think about obeying me, Abraham. Will you please consider it? You know, if you obey me, then I'll bless. He says, no, 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 no. Leave your family. Go. He doesn't say, if you go. He says, go from your family. Leave everything. Leave everybody and follow me. Right? He doesn't give him a choice. He doesn't say, if you choose to go. No, he left. He says, go from your country. And Abraham went. Just like with Paul. Again, it's like those parallels there in in salvation. Paul didn't have a say. He had really no choice. Here's what God was going to do with him. I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for me by grace. But you know what? On the other side of that, as believers, Abraham, Paul, every one of us, we go willingly. Even though he calls us, we willingly leave everything to follow Christ. Just like Abraham, he was called by God and yet he willingly left everything to follow him, to follow his God, the God who saved him. And that's what happens with every single true believer in Christ. You are willing to leave everything behind to know Jesus Christ, aren't you? If you really believe in Christ, If you really know him, and if it really comes down to it, you are willing to say goodbye to everything else in your life in order to have Jesus Christ, in order to be obedient to Jesus Christ, right? Yes, if you're a true Christian, absolutely. We might struggle, oh, that might be really hard to let go of that person, or to let go of that thing, or to let go of this, but you know in your heart and hearts, if you are a Christian, when it comes down to it, you are going to say, Christ and nothing else, let everything else go for the honor of following my Lord Jesus Christ. And that includes my life. Amen? Every true Christian has that testimony and can testify to that. That's one way you can know if you're truly in Christ. If you're willing to let it all go, if you're willing to follow him, if you're willing to count the cost, if you're willing to to, to walk away from everything that he calls you to walk away from in order to be faithful to him. Amen. And he gives you the strength and power to do that. Abraham followed him. It's not that he followed him first and proved himself to be faithful and then God counted him as righteous. You know, you can kind of get that a little bit from the text, but that's not at all what it means. By grace, he believed. God called him, Abram, follow me. Abram, leave your family. Abraham, Abram obeyed him. By grace he believed and was counted as righteous. And so he lived, not flawlessly, but he lived by faith. And he lived faithfully to his God. That's the calling of the Christians. We don't live flawlessly. 
Yeah, we wish we had this, the faith of Abraham that we could do that. And we do have that in our heart of hearts, right? We're able to be, we have that faith, the same faith of Abraham. Now, that belief and trust, that's be, as we work out our salvation, but it's there in us to live that way. So Abraham's faith is deep and it's a relentless trust in him. And this is what's so cool about this. And this was so wonderful about salvation. And this is what sets Christianity apart. I know I say this all the time, but it's very important. Because every other system, every other way has something that you do. Something that you could boast about. Christianity strips you of yourself. So there's nothing that you could say. It puts us in our place. Lord, I'm nothing and you are everything. And then he exalts us and raises us up. But I want you to know and I want you to understand that. It's a major among other things, what sets Christianity apart shows us that we are nothing and he is everything. Every other system, every other way has something that you can say that you've done to get to that place where you hope to go. You understand that? Do you know that? There's no boasting here. There's no boasting before God. Right? He was the forefather according to the flesh. But if he was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. That means... He knows that before God, he can't say anything, right? God knows. Maybe before man, people boast about what they do, what they say, but he knows that it's all of God. He knows that it's all of grace because if he did do something, he would have something to boast about. There's no boasting. Otherwise, if it, if it were otherwise, he would have something to say. He could say, hey, I have earned it. Hey, I have followed you. Hey, I have proved myself to you. And that's what every other system, you have to kind of prove yourself. You have to do something in order to get to that place or be accepted by that deity or that thing that you want to be accepted by not here there's something there's nothing to boast about if salvation is not a gift and this is paul's point again if it's not a gift of god's grace it's like a job right it's like something that you do where you get paid where you earn through your work and if that's the case then you can say well i deserve it I deserve, for all that I've done, I do deserve to be saved. I deserve to be loved by God. I deserve to be favored by God. Every true Christian knows that that's not the case, right? You know, oh, that makes us shudder. But there are so many that are deluded in this way, who try harder, who want to do better, want to make their way. Right? Conventional wisdom. People reason in this way. If I work really hard, well, then maybe God will see. Just like at work. Like if you work hard at your job, don't you think you deserve a bonus because you're working harder than everybody else? You're doing your job. You're going above and beyond. You're staying late when everybody else leaves. You go above and beyond. That, spiritually speaking, is like the good person. Like you, you'll see somebody say, man, that's a good person. You know, they're, they're, they do so, so much good, like, like in a, even in a spiritual way. Like the Apostle Paul could say about himself. He was a good person, wasn't he? Because he knew so much. He could say that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew much more. He put so much into it. He was doing, he was working, hoping that God would see and accredit him and count that to his good, right? He knew more than a lot of his contemporaries, more than, his, more than, more than the other students. He was above and beyond them. He was good. That's like one category. The second category is like you might not be as good like at your job. You kind of do your job, but you might get docked because you're not a perfect worker. You're not there every single day. But you could still point to some good that you've done, right? Even negatively, you could say, hey, well, at least I have never done this. Or I'm not like that person over there, and I try real hard. And there are some good things that I do. That's a decent person. He's a decent person. And that's where kind of most people fall kind of here spiritually, right? They're decent people. They do, they do pretty good. 
God should take that into account. There's a little bit to boast about. It's only those who do nothing but bad, nothing but wrong. You know, they, they do nothing. They, they're the ones who can expect nothing in return. And we know people like that. Those are, the, those are the irredeemable people. Those are the bad people over there. That's an awful person. So you have the good person, you have the decent person, and you have the awful person. Right? They don't deserve anything, God. And they know it, and they're bad, and they don't even care. But see, these categories are false. They're wrong. It's, it's, it's for every true believer in Jesus Christ. Every true believer understands, and Paul was pointing out here, that salvation comes when you realize, by God's grace, that there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn, to merit, or to deserve God's favor. And everything that you have done or try to do is useless in trying to get there. Do you understand that? That's what Paul's, there's nothing there. Nothing, because if there's even one little thing, then you could say, here's what I've done. Why don't you consider this, God? Here's, see, it's, it's, ve- it's very counterintuitive. It goes against the worldly thinking. It goes against conventional wisdom. It goes against kind of how people reason. It goes against the examples we have in this world. You know, work harder, do better, and you'll be rewarded. It doesn't work like that spiritually in Christianity. It is. It pushes hard against conventional teaching and natural inclinations, but that's the very nature of grace. Amen? And that's what Paul was pointing out here. This is how Abraham was saved. This is how David was saved. This is how you are saved. Very, listen, man, are you ever shocked or surprised by something that you've earned? No. If you work, then you're, you, just, you expect to be paid. You expect to receive something for what you've done, that you've earned. All right? that's, that's, there's, you're never shocked or surprised by something that's been earned. It's just the opposite, as a matter of fact. You're shocked and surprised when you don't receive what you think that you need, or that you think that you're owed, or you think that you've earned. I've worked so hard, they should give me more. So you're shocked and surprised that you don't get what you think you've earned. That's how it works. There are going to be many like that on the last day when they stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And they're going to be shocked when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. But see, those are people that work They're shocked and surprised when they don't receive what they think they've earned. But grace, and listen to this, man. Grace always, every single time, it stuns, it surprises, it shocks, it amazes as you freely receive that which you have no right to, that you haven't earned, that you don't deserve, that you can't merit in any way, but he pours that out upon you, his grace and his mercy. That's what he says. He believed it's counted to him as righteousness. That counted, that word means to impute. His righteousness is imputed by God. So we should be shocked and amazed and stunned. And listen, Christian, every single day, every single moment, don't ever let this get old in your life. Oh, the same Christian walk. Oh, it's oh, it's tough. We are blessed beyond measure, no matter our circumstances, no matter what. And this is why you need to be serious about your faith, because you have been saved by the grace of God and by his love and mercy. And you receive what you do not deserve. Just the opposite of that. I want you to feel that every single day of your life. I want you to live in the reality of this grace every single day. Please remind yourself. Remind yourself and understand that what you deserve from God is judgment, rejection, hatred, death, and hell. But what you have received by grace is acceptance, love, life, and heaven. Live with that. That, that, will, that will encourage you every single day 
to live in the joy of the Lord despite the hardships, despite the difficulties that we face, despite the trials. Nothing could rob you of that when you know that you've received the grace of God. That's why Abraham was faithful when he walked by faith. That's why he was willing to do everything that God called him to do because he loved the Lord and he knew what he had received even as he looked forward to it. If Abraham was justified by works, then everyone would be justified by works. Everyone would have something to boast about. Do you have anything to say? When you stand before God, what are you going to say? Lord, I'm so glad that, that I chose you. I'm so glad that you saw everything that I do, did, and so on that basis you chose me. No, you're going to be on your face worshiping him, praising him, and thanking him for choosing a sinner like you that has no place besides by the grace of God to be in his presence. That's what's going on here, man. That's what he's saying here. No boasting on our part. We're nothing. He's everything. He makes us something. Amen? Praise God. David experienced the same thing. Right? Verses 6 through 8. Check it out. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts, and there's the imputation. We talked about that last week. He counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those, and this is from Psalm 32, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count, will not impute his sin. We talked all about imputation last week and righteousness. He counts us righteous apart from works. By the way, where was David when God called him? What was David doing? Was he looking for God? Was he out there in the midst? Do you remember where David was? Where was he? He was in the field. If you don't remember, let's turn, you can turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6. Let's just take a look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 6, where was David? And I want you to see this. I want you to know this. Understand, where was Moses? What were they doing? Where were these people? What were they doing when God called them? They were on their own. They weren't looking for God. God's grace comes to us and finds us. He opens our eyes. And then, of course, we follow him. Of course, we love him. Of course, we trust in him. Praise God for that. Here's David. And this is a calling. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel gets the call from the Lord to anoint the next king. So they go to David's the house. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. As Samuel says this, the Lord said to Samuel, the father had brought, and brought uh, sons before Samuel. He said, no, not this one, not this one. Then pick it up in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
See, God's not, and that's Paul's pointing back and saying, this is God's sovereignty. It's God who chooses. And he, and he goes on to say, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That's atonement, forgiveness, atonement. Whose sins are not counted against them. That's justification. You see the doctrines that are in play here? You see what he's saying? Forgiveness, atonement, justification. True believers are always saved by grace through faith in Christ, whether looking forward or back. Jesus said in John eight fifty six that Abraham, your father Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. He looked forward and believed by faith. Matthew twenty two forty four. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under your feet. That is Jesus, Jesus quoting Psalm 110 written by David. And he wrote this. Jesus said this. The Lord said to my Lord. Right. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is to prove that Jesus was both David's son. Right. His 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 descendant of the flesh and also his Savior, his Lord, and his Messiah. That's how he can call, David can call him both Lord and um, Savior. Every true believer today, every one of you, looks back. Where do you look to for your salvation? In Jesus Christ, how did he save you? Perfect life. But we look back on the cross, that he died for me, that he shed his blood for me. So they look forward to Calvary. We look back to Calvary and say, he shed his blood for me. He died. He took my sin on himself. And he died for my sins, was buried and was raised up on the third day. So we look back to the cross. So it doesn't depend on works. It never has depended on works. It doesn't depend on rituals. It doesn't depend on rites either. It doesn't depend on belonging to a certain ethnic group. And that's what he says to as he comes to the end of this section. So he says in verse 9, is the blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Who's this blessing for? It's for everybody who believes. Christ died for the sins of the world, for all kinds of people, not just a particular ethnic group. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Okay, That faith was counted as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? See, this is for the people that trust in the rituals. This is for people that trust in the religion. This is for people that trust in, maybe if I do this spiritual activity, then God is going to bring me in, right? That's it. No, there's, that, that, he, that's not it. It's grace alone. He says, it was before, not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He still had that faith before he was circumcised. Right? And the purpose was making making the father of a whole believe without being circumcised. And he goes on from there. So understand this part here. These verses are talking about when Abraham was was Abraham made right before God before or after he was circumcised? It was before. That circumcision was a covenant sign. It was a covenant seal. It was uh, the outward sign pointing to the inward reality but understand this so signs and seals are never a guarantee of the reality the only reality is your faith in the lord jesus christ that's what makes your faith real that's what saves you not anything that you do and that's why it's really important he says this the signs the rituals even the ethnicity add nothing to your salvation 
right? That's what the, the Galatians, the Judaizers in Galatia, that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, I want you to believe in Jesus. Yes, believe in Jesus, but then also be circumcised. And then you'll really be a Christian in that way. What did Paul say? Yeah, do that. That's okay. He said, no, don't you dare. Don't you dare. You're adding to the gospel. That's another gospel altogether. Don't do that. Many religious leaders, many of the religious Jews, outwardly they appeared to be righteous, but what did Jesus say about them? Inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Outward, you're doing the rituals. Outward, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and even adding to what you're supposed to be doing. But inside, you're dead. Our rituals can't save us. So he's saying that in this part. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ because you can get that false sense of security by doing things, right? If I just do this, if I participate in this, if this happens to me, then hopefully maybe I will be accepted by God. We love our rituals. We love, and there's a place for the signs. There's a place obviously for the sacraments, but never in regards to faith, never in regards to actually being saved. So if you were raised Roman Catholic, listen, man, the rituals, the sacraments, this, this took it to a new level. They take it to a new level because the outward sign actually bring inward transformation. They, they, they don't just point to an inward reality. They make that reality possible. Do you understand that? That's a big deal. That messes everything up that Paul's saying here. He was, he was, he was saved by faith. He was, before, he received that sign after he believed as a sign of his faith in the Lord. It didn't make him into anything. And so we have people believing that. So, so if you're raised in that way, your baptism actually confers salvation. It actually saves you. It actually renews you. So it's the sign that actually works inside you to, to bring about the reality. That's not at all what he says. You have to have faith. The signs point to that faith. They don't bring that faith. They don't make that faith happen. You understand? But, but we're taught that the mass, it actually goes down and your sins are actually forgiven in your heart, the confirmation, the Holy Spirit's poured out on you in that way. So, so the signs actually confer the grace. That's not true. That's not what happens. That's not what Paul's saying here. Because what you're going to end up doing is put your faith in the signs. Well, I was baptized, right? If you're a Roman guy, you could talk to those people. Was he baptized? Oh, well, at least he was baptized. I was at a funeral this past week, Roman Catholic funeral. She came into the kingdom through her baptism, she was baptized, and that conferred grace upon her. Nothing about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or trusting in Christ. So it gives you a false sense of security, a false sense of hope. You could seem very godly, but you have nothing to do with Christ in reality in that way. Evangelicals aren't off the hook either, man. Believe me, there are so many of us. We catechize our little kids. We preach our little kids. We do our family worship. We bring them to Sunday school. We bring them to church. We do this. We do that. We do the other. We kind of push them to make a, a profession of faith when they're 12 or 13, make sure they get baptized, make sure they come to the Lord's table, and we trust in that, that that's kind of proof that they're little Christians. No. Faith alone. And that's what Paul's saying here. That's why he received the sign after he was circumcised. It wasn't because of the circumcision. So don't trust in, in, in the outward signs. Again, they're important, especially the sacraments. They have their place in worship and they strengthen our faith, but they do not save us. And don't ever count on that. Don't count on it when somebody says, well, I walked the aisle when I was 12 and I raised my hand, but they're living lives far away from the Lord. They're not consistent with what they should be doing and believing as Christians. You have all the right in the world to question that because now they're trusting in the rituals. Now they're trusting in, in um, the outward 
instead of the reality that's inward by the Holy Spirit. You understand? So you do have a right, parents. I, I hear parents all the time, well, when he was eight, he made a profession of faith. He's just not living that. Now he's 32 and he's out on the street, but he's still a Christian because he's there. Well, you know, maybe he's like the prodigal son, but more than likely he's never truly converted. Don't count on the rituals in that way. Faith alone, the signs and seals, the sacraments guarantee nothing in regards to salvation, nor does ethnicity. Well, I'm this. I'm, you know, I'm part of this nation. I'm part of this ethnic group. No. Important as these can be, we do not count on them. And that's the point in Galatians 6, or Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Paul saying this to the, to the Christians, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to that promise. This brings it all back. Leave that up there for just a sec. I just want you to see that. What's the key? What saves you? For Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. That's what saves then comes the baptism. For as many of you are baptized in the Christ, that's the sign. That's the outward sign of the inward reality that saves us. And then we are one in Jesus Christ no matter where you're from, no matter where your background is. There's not a separate group here or a separate group there or a special group here or a special group there or anybody should be treated more special within the church in any kind of single way like the CRT stuff is trying to teach us. No, that's false. There's one Christian family and we're one in Jesus Christ with that same standing before Christ and before each other. We don't play those silly games that they're playing in the outside world trying to bring it into the church. We don't do that. We're one in Christ. We're loved with the same love of Christ, the same intensity in Christ, the same hope in Jesus Christ. And that makes us Abraham's offspring, heirs according to that promise back in Genesis 12 and fall in Genesis 12 through 17. That's what makes us heirs in Christ Jesus. That's what connects us to Abraham, is our faith in Christ. Not our ethnicity, not our <clears throat> works, not our rituals that we try to do. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. Just like he believed in Christ, so we believe in Christ. We are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham proves, Paul proves, that salvation through Abraham. And it's cool that he picked Abraham, the Old Testament. He didn't pick one of the apostles. He goes all the way back to Abraham. And he proves and points the point that salvation is not, has never been, and will never be by works, by rituals, but always and only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we live by faith. That's how you live by faith. If you try to live in those other ways, if you try to live by works, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get too far. You're not going to get into heaven, man. No way. No way. He's not going to look and see your little record and how good you, because you know what the standard is? It's perfection to the law of God. Perfect, 100%. Only one has completed that. His name is Jesus Christ, who you need to trust in. You think your little rituals are going to save you? Well, I'm a good little person. I do this and I do that and I try hard. That's not going to save you. He's going to look at that and say, no, take your rituals. Didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Depart from me. I never knew you. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's what Paul is teaching us. And that's what Paul is showing us. And that's what we need to see and come to grips with. Because we have people in our own lives, maybe even some of you, but we have people in our own lives that are relying on these things and trying harder to do better and thinking that God's going to kind of grade on a curve. No, it's Christ alone. He, he, Christ passed. Christ took the punishment. He's the one we go through. It's not, the, it's not the little things that you do or things that you've done in the past. It's trusting in Jesus Christ and living 
for him by faith. Romans 4, 1 through 12. 